All right, you ready to read this? Let's read it. All right, we are in chapter 4. Now, if you remember two weeks ago, we were in the first part of this chapter. He's been dealing, about, dealing with this whole thing about folks who are Christians, people who are uh, claiming to be brothers and sisters, you know, people who claiming to follow Christ. Now, most of the folks James is ministering to have a Jewish background, but they've come to faith in Christ. But guess what? Not everybody that talks about following Christ really follow him very well. Okay, most of us struggle at times, amen? Uh, there's a lot of problems that he's dealing with here. And part of it is has to do with that old flesh nature, that human nature and worldliness. And last week we were talking about that. He talked about, uh, some of you think you're wise. He told us right off the bat, if you lack wisdom, to ask God in chapter 1. In chapter 3, he talked about wisdom from above being different from wisdom that's not from above. Uh, human wisdom, worldly wisdom. And then as we got into chapter 4, he's talking about that whole battle between godliness and worldliness and uh, being still a slave to the flesh, the cause of conflicts and problems and the fact that whenever you are more focused on this world than you are focused on God, that you're like an idolater. And he talked about the pride that they had and how they need to humble themselves. The answer was to repent. The answer was to submit and to humble yourself before God. Brings us right into this passage. So I want you to watch the attitude of the people that he's talking about here and the truth about God. And so we're talking about our lives. So he's really he's dialing this in. Your life, what is it? And who's really in charge here? I mean, really. You talk about a lot of stuff. You talk a good game spiritually. But who's really in charge? We go to your daily life and we'll find out. Here we go. Verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Wow. <laughs> okay. So what about your life? Who's really in charge? Uh, do you really believe that God is the creator? That he's the designer, the owner of the universe? Now, a lot of people don't believe that. And I got something to say. Some things are true whether you believe in them or not. We live in a world in this American culture, and I still think it's, 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 it's not as many people as the media makes us want to think that it is. Uh, but but there's, there's so many people that just want to think your truth is whatever you want it to be. Your truth is whatever you say it is. Whatever's true to you is fine. Everybody can't be right. Is there such thing as reality? Is, yeah. What is real? I even had a teacher one time that got into all this uh, and, you know, learned a lot of this stuff from their social science professor in college and psychology and all of this about reality. And she's going on about challenging us about how do you really even know anything's real? How do you even know you're really here? I just got my books and started to walk out the room. She said, Moon, where are you going? I said, 
well, if I'm not really here, I'm not going to sit and listen to all this. I'm going to go somewhere else if I'm not really here anyway. And she goes, shut up and sit down. Uh, so anyway, it did, the whole argument didn't work out. But the thing about it is, is that there is objective truth that's true always, no matter what. Two plus two is always needs to equal four, especially if you're going to be building a building or designing anything. There's objective truth. There's, that also applies not just to the physical laws, but we find out in this book it applies to God's design for the whole universe. When you really think about how the earth, its mass and size, and how it rotates at a certain speed on its axis, tilted a certain number of degrees, a certain distance from the sun, that is a certain size, it has a certain gravitational pull. If one thing was one tiny bit off, this whole solar system wouldn't exist. The universe wouldn't exist. It, it, it's a very much of a design. You look out in outer space and you, do, you see a design. You look at the smallest molecules, you see a design. How is there so much design without a designer? So if you really believe God is a creator and the designer, then you believe he's the owner of the universe. He's the one that says how things work. And that's part of the breakdown we have is, is people don't want to believe that. They don't want to acknowledge God as who he is. They, they want to just whatever I think's fine. The, the thing is, is that you may be able to do that, especially in a country like America. But the thing about it is, is, is if you don't do things the way the designer has designed it, it's not going to work. Society's not working. Families aren't working. Nothing's working. Uh, and, and so this, we can look out at some of the people that are really doing some wacky stuff and point a finger at them. But James has us look right into our own hearts because we've all got a little bit of this. And this is where there's some breakdown. The enemy may not get you to not understand the sanctity of human life. He may not get you to, not, to understand God's design for the home and the family and, and, and God's plan of salvation, the good news, the gospel. He may not, but, but if he can get you to just try to, how about this? He can't get you to totally uh, disregard God and who he is and his plans. But if the enemy can just get you and I to just, you know, include God in some of our stuff, and think that's good enough, but it's really about me, then he's won a little bit of a victory, and he's going to keep you from maximizing and me from maximizing what God wants to do in and through my life. Uh, and this is part of what James is talking about here. I mean, do we really believe and have faith in him as not just the creator, but our Lord and our Savior? If we really have that, and if I really believe that every breath I take, every beat of my heart, if I really believe my salvation, he paid it all. That's where the gospel's different from all world religions that are all about working your way to a certain level. This is the one that says you can't work your way into anything, that you come by admitting that you're a lost sinner and that you can't save yourself and you by faith you put your faith in what God did for you that you couldn't do for yourself. And that's why Jesus died on the cross and rose again victoriously. You, you put your faith in that. It's totally different. And then God begins to transform you by his strength, his presence, his power working in and through your life. And so if you really believe that, that not just your life comes from him, but your salvation comes totally from him. Does it really show in the daily decisions that I make that I believe that? That's where James is taking us. So context of this chapter is still dealing with the conflict between 
the world's viewpoint and God's viewpoint. You and I live in that every day. Uh, the previous verses we were talking about spoke about submission to God as an answer to overcoming these conflicts. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will what? Lift you up. And uh, the last time we ended our teaching uh, on how we're not to play God in our own lives, and we're not to play God in others' other people's lives. There's only one God. There's only one lawgiver. And we don't want to set ourselves over other people in judging them in an unfair way. Uh, but he carries the subject a step further now when we're talking about our plans and our decisions and our goals for the future. Uh, you know, it's kind of like when planning, you could say it this way. I've heard people say, I talk about this passage, say it this way. When planning, don't leave God out. Amen. And we all say amen to that. But actually, it's more than that. You ready? It's not just adding God to your plans. And Lord, this is what I want, and I want you to just be with me. Help me and bless me. That's all okay, but it's more than that. It's not just about adding God to your plans. Not just an add-on. Pause for effect. I don't know. He is your plan. I said it. He is the plan. Not just an add-on. MacArthur said this. He said, to disregard God's will is the same as saying, I. And the sovereign ruler of my own life. Such pride. Such a, proud, such a prideful attitude. Is incompatible. He says with saving faith. As James has already pointed out. God is actually guess what. Opposed to the proud. But gives grace. To the humble. So those who refuse. To submit to God's will. Give evidence. That maybe our lives have not really been transformed by his saving grace. That's heavy. Are you getting this? All right, let's go through this. Just a couple of things. A lot of things dealt with here are control issues. It's not about, it's not, okay, it's not just about God blessing our plans. Watch this. It's about aligning my plans. It's about our aligning our lives with his plan. See the difference? Number one thing he's trying to get us to understand here in this passage is this. The plans we make cannot be guaranteed. The plans we make cannot be guaranteed. You think uh, you're going to do this. You may, it may not work out that way. So our normal perception of the future, he says, is wrong. You presume way too much too often. A lot of times, uh, yeah, and, and you think about the future. And, and I, I gave a little bit of thought to this this week. You know, when I was a kid, born in the 60s, grew up kind of in the 70s. Um, in those days, I remember, um, and some of you are like, you know, you were already old at, by that time. But anyway, and some of you weren't born at that time. So I've just lived long enough now that, you know, when I first came here uh, for quite a few years, all the old people had always been old to me, right? Well, now there's some of, some of you that are, shall we say, older, I can remember when you were younger than me. 
see, I've lived long enough to see how fast that happens. And lo and behold, it might even be happening to me. But growing up in the 70s, about thinking about the year 2000, right? You remember when Prince came out with that song, We're Going to Party Like It's 1999? You know, I was like, wow, you know, phew, come and gone, man. I remember thinking about the year 2000, thinking about the 2020s. Like, my big question is, where are the flying cars? I mean, I just knew, we all knew that we would have that by now. Uh, but the way some of you drive with regular cars, I'm glad you don't have a flying car. There's no telling what kind of mess we would have. But, you know, so our whole idea of the future is always wrong. But here's the problem, he says. Whenever you're making statements like he said here, he said, come down. Here's what you're saying. You're saying this. Today, tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town, spend a year there. We're going to trade. We're going to do all this stuff. We're going to make a profit. Here's what you're making a presumption of. You're thinking that you're in control and you're not. You need to realize it. At least realize the plans you make cannot be guaranteed. That you think that you can control time. You have a tendency to think that um, uh, we're in control of our time. You see it here. Today, tomorrow, you know, whenever I decide I'm going to go do this, that I actually have that time. You may not. You may not have that time at all. Then we think we're not only in control of time, that we have time that we may not have, is we think we're in control of our plans. Like, here's exactly what I'm going to do. And if you've got kids and things, you know how many people can ruin your plans. All right. But let's just say we still try to control that. I'm, he says, I'm going to buy and sell. I'm going to do this stuff. So I, I think I can control time. I think I control my plans that I know what I'm going to do and how things are going to go. And the other thing is we think we can control results because the next thing he says, and stay there a year and all this and make a profit that I know this is going to happen. Uh, by the way, our great purpose in life isn't just to make a profit. Uh, but anyway, so we're presuming that we can do all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with making plans. But there's something missing here. I will do this. I will buy and sell. I will continue there. I will get a profit. Once again, the problem, remember two weeks ago? I borrowed this from Charles Stanley. I heard him say it years ago. The problem is big I. You know, the holy trinity of the flesh, me, myself, and I. No God anywhere in it. You know, God, I want you to back me up now if I get in trouble. But only then, you just kind of stay out of the way because I got my stuff that I have to do. That's the way a lot of these people are living, and that's kind of the natural way we will live if we don't watch it. When we live like that, if we're not careful, we don't look at it this way. But he's saying you need to realize that you might actually be trying to play God in your life. Now, you've got Almighty God to back you up, but, you know, it's, it's just like that thing we're born with. It's part of that basic, basic part of the sin nature. I can do it by myself. I love watching the grand, you know, and grandkids are, are, are better than actual, your kids. <laughs> can I get a witness on that? So, you know, at the age you are, you've got a little more patience and you know, you look at life a little differently and, you know, some of the things that you didn't notice, you now you do and things that used to irritate you, you actually now think are funny. And maybe some of the things you used to spank your kids for, you actually put your grandkids up to. I don't know. I just, I just threw that one in there. Um, but, but you see that strong will they have. And these little, little, little tiny granddaughters, they think they can just, man, I can do that. I can do that. And, uh, 
last week uh, when Deacon was hanging around with me. Everything I did, I kind of had him help me with it. And then he, wouldn't, he didn't want to just be there and see ideas. Me do it. Me do it. Me do it. <laughs> and I thought... Lord, forgive me because you've heard me say that. There's so many things the Lord is wanting me to just follow him. And I'm like, me do it. <laughs> in daily decisions in life, you know, unless I can't do it. And there were some things I let him try to do. And he found out, guess what? He couldn't do it. Has God ever done that in your life? Sometimes like, all right, go ahead, buddy. Let's see if you can do it. And then you're bailing. You're asking God, help me, help me. Okay, that's where you should have started right there. But we think we can do it by ourselves and God just back us up. He's trying to say God's not the backup. God's not the add-on. He's the center. He's the center of it. Okay? Um, not only are we unable to control our time, our plans, our results. Um, we, don't even, we don't even know what's going to happen. He goes on and says... Verse 14, you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. You don't even know. What's going to, you don't even know what's going to happen. Um, don't have the ability to know. And that's when he kind of refers to the brevity of life there. He says, well, what, what even is your life? What is your life? He says it's like a mist or like some translations say a vapor that appears for a short time and vanishes away. Now, you need to know James, boy, he knew his Old Testament. And a lot of what he teaches is based on Old Testament and on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, so as he goes through this, he's drawing right here this verse actually from Proverbs 27.1 where he says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. That's exactly the scripture that James had in mind. Isn't it neat? And here we are several thousand years after James wrote this, and James is pulling from scripture that was written for several thousand years before him. And it's all helping us. It's all still alive and powerful and life-changing. I love this. Hey, Amen. I get excited about Scripture. Good. And he's drawing from that. But we go back. Remember, one of the earliest books ever written actually was Job. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not earlier than the history recorded in Genesis, but it may have actually been written before God instructed Moses to write down the book of the beginnings even, okay? Uh, but, um, excuse me, I'm flying through. Job says this, you know, Job's suffering. Job's just letting it all out. And he's like, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. I don't exactly know how fast a weaver's shuttle is, but to Job, that was like really fast. My days are faster than a... Jet airplane. I don't know how we would say it today. And are spent without hope. Well, Job's going through a low time. And he's talking about it's just how fast it's going and how desperate he was. Next verse, he says in verse 7, Oh, remember. So he's crying out to God. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. So the same thing James is saying. It's like a vapor, a mist. It's like a breath. In verse 8, he goes on to say, The eye who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. It's like my life's going by so fast that I'm just going to fade away like while you're just looking at me and he's gone. Right? You ever feel that way about life? I mean, time is going so fast. It's just like while you're looking at me, I just grow old and vanish right in front of you. And I'm, I'm thinking about how fast time's going now. And, and, and it just seems like it gets faster and faster, right, as time goes on. Um, then. And um, I'm like, you know, I'll, I'm, it's just, I can't, I'll be a pile of dust in no time, you know. It's just like what Job, I feel that at times, huh? You feel that. 
Well, not only that, but David reflected upon this while he's worshiping God. And he said in uh, in verse 4 of Psalm 39, he said, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Because David's king and, man, some things had happened. And maybe he's feeling like, man, I'm, I'm really, but I need to be reminded. I need to remember that I'm going to have an end here in this world. It's not going to go on forever here. Me just doing what I think I'm going to do. There's an end. The reality of death. <laughs> I realize in my family, everyone in my immediate family who was born before now, since Mamma Moon passed away, has moved up, uh, who's been born before 1941, death is bad at a thousand in our family. Every single one. And if the Lord doesn't come back soon, we need to, we need to have some wisdom. There's some wisdom. We don't live with some big dark cloud over, so I'm going to die, I'm going to die, you know? We're not living with some big cloud over us. But like David, We need to be reminded this life is temporary. That means we need to maximize our time for the sovereign God who rules over time. And then one of these days we'll be in eternity where there is no more time. We're going to have time to get caught up on some. I'm I'm convinced there's some things that I want to visit with some of you guys about and and there's some things that we're never going to get caught up. And there's times that, well, well, sometimes we'll have to get together and get caught up. We're never going to get caught up, but one of these days we will get caught up. I promise you, and we're going to be enjoying that. David says that I may know how frail I am. I need to remember how fragile I am and how strong you are is the idea there. Next verse, he goes on to say, Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths. That is, is just like, that's how wide they are. I mean, it's just like on the timeline, I'm just like, beep. And my age, he says, is is nothing before you, God who is eternal. I think about all my days, it's like nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but vapor. Yeah, that's what James is saying. He's pulling from that too. That in our best, we're just a vapor. So why do we get to thinking we're all that? Why do we think we're going to call the shots? Why do we think we know so much? We forget that God is the one who is sovereign. Next verse. Verse 6, Psalm 39, he says, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Well, a shadow vanishes, doesn't it? Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and doesn't know who will gather them. I mean, because we're not going to be here. We're acting like we're going to have all this, and this is what my purpose is. And he says, you're going to leave it behind. Your shadow's going to fail. You're going to be gone, and you're going to leave it all right here. You're not taking it with you. Um, then David also says in Psalm 144, 3, he says, Lord, as he's thinking about all this, what is man that you even take knowledge of him? You know, I think about how this, I'm, I'm living on this speck of a planet in this solar system, in this galaxy, in this universe. And David didn't understand all that like we do, but he did know that. He, he began to look out and he think, you know, all of this and then mankind, what, what is man in all your creation that you even are mindful of us or the son of man that, that, you're, that you take knowledge or that you're mindful of him? In the next verse, he says, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. So there again, he's talking about that brevity of life and everything. Uh, and um, so hold, hold that thought right there. <laughs> Our days are like a shadow that's passing. Um, now, listen. Uh, That's what makes it so amazing that God does take knowledge of us. 
And that God wants to know us and know us deeply and intimately in every thought that you have. It's, an, it's amazing that though this is true, why, Lord, would you even take knowledge of us? Why would you even be mindful of us? That not only is he mindful, he never stops thinking about you, the Bible teaches us. And not only that, that he thought that even your vapor of a life was worth him coming to this world and dying for to atone so that you can be forgiven and live in heaven, have a relationship with him for eternity. That's what's amazing. Okay, and that's what David's is, David is dialing in there. All right. Secondly, not only the plans we make can't be guaranteed, but the purposes of God must control our plans. That's the point he's getting to here. Here's the proper attitude, okay? So he says, you say this, I'm going to do this, and yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Verse 14, what is your life? You're a mist that appears a little time and vanishes away. Now instead, here's what you ought to do. Here's the right thing. And to say this, if the Lord wills, we will live... Number one, we'll live. If the Lord wills, not if I just keep this old ticker going, it's if the Lord wills. Recognizing that God knows the day. He can call you out anytime. Listen, none of us are indispensable. No. I mean, there's been many times through the years the Lord took someone and I still complain to him and say, Lord, I do not understand why or see how that was any way a good thing. I, I, I faith in you that in eternity we'll look and say, oh, I get it. But here now, I just don't get it. But yet I do understand something else is true. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. I don't know why some people and why not others. I don't know why it has to be in the manner it is sometimes. But I just know that's true. None of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are indispensable. And you know, and even pastor in a church the size ours is in a community this size, uh, I realize this is true. God can take me out now or today. And he can very easily, I mean super easily, raise up another pastor that's 100 times better than me. I mean, like, yeah, that wouldn't be that big a challenge for God especially, none of us are indispensable. So he says that first of all, if God wills, we'll live and then do this or that. So it's acknowledging God on the front end, not just like, Lord, if I get in trouble, help me. Lord, save my life. Lord, help my plan succeed. God's at the center of it. You don't just put him first. Because if you just put him first, you might be well like, okay, God. And then you check him off and go on to your stuff. He's the center. He's not first on the list. He's on every part of the list from beginning to end. See, he's included in it. And that's what he's trying to tell us here. Um, not only should we include him in our plans, but with his purposes, his principles, which are clearly laid out in Scripture, his purposes, his principles must control my plans. My plans that I make are not only realizing under his control, but they are guided by his principles and his purposes that he gives us in his scriptures. Obeying his will should be our top priority. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, obeying his will should be the number one thing on your list. Okay, center of your list. It's in everything, right? Okay, we'll stay with that. Obeying his will is the top priority. So here's the problem. We get so busy. Hmm? That's one of the biggest tools the enemy uses on so many of us. We get so busy. Um, we don't want to forget. We just get so busy. 
We get so busy doing urgent things that have to be done right now that we forget the really important things. In daily life, in ministry, a lot of times it's the urgent, the urgent, the urgent, and we forget the important. So Satan's strategy might just be able to keep, and boy, when I get busy, I get distracted. His, his big thing may be just trying to keep us so busy that we just never get to the main things. We're taking care of, of, of urgent things. Um, so here's the problem, is that living like this, whenever we're doing that, we're, 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 we're cutting God out before we even realize it. But when we do what James says, and we realize that the purposes of God must control all of our plans, when we do that, it eliminates boasting on our part. And he's already told us it causes us to humble ourselves right before him. And he's already told us in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he'll do what? He's going to lift you up. So now, I still have a will, right? I make decisions every day. God gave me that ability, that right. But here's what he's saying that we must do, is that my will, I must make the decision that I submit my will to his will every day. I submit my will, and Jesus set the example for us before he went to the cross, when he said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. That cup contained the whole result of what our sin was about, because not only was he going to have to suffer and die on the cross and shed his blood as a covering but he was going to experience, and I can't explain this, the full essence of what hell is, is separation. I don't understand that whole thing when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't understand how father and son could be separated. But in some sense, it seems to indicate he experienced the essence of what hell is. And that is of what we call hell. And that is separation from God forever. That And being eternal, he could experience not just pay for my sins that I've committed, but he could, ex he could even experience my full hell on those moments. I don't understand that. But he took that. That whole thing of that separation must have been the big thing about that cup, if there's any way. But... If there's no other way to save you in your vapor of a life, Jesus said, not my will, but your will. And that's what he set the example for us in far simpler things. So there's a warning then to heed in verse, the last verses, verse 16 and 17. So he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and I want you to know it's sin. You know, you are doing your thing and you think you're in control. The big issue here is God's sovereignty. And, and, and he wants us to see that God is sovereign over all things and all parts of life. Not just some. Not just church stuff. He says, and when you live like this, you're being arrogant. You're thinking you're calling the shots and you're not. And he says, I want you to know it's evil. It's sinful. You're not in charge. Then he says, whoever knows to do the right thing and doesn't do it, fails to do it, for him, it's sin. So he calls it evil. And sin. Now, at verse 17, a lot of times we understand that to mean that, um, and this is, why, this is why if you're just counting on you being able to die uh, uh, without any sin in your conscious mind, uh, you're probably not going to make it. That's why we depend on the grace of God. And as we walk by faith and walk in the light as he is in the light, his grace, his blood covers us from our sin. John talks about that in 1 John. 
Because not only would you have to try to remember and confess every sin, every, every part. See, so sin isn't just certain things that you think are bad. Sin is anything that falls short of the perfection of Jesus Christ. It's not just the naughty nine or the dirty dozen sins. It's any attitude, thought, or action that falls short from being as perfect as what Jesus was. Anything less than that falls short of the mark is sin. That's why we need God's grace. Amen. So you would have to try to think of everything. You know, somebody said, well, you know, you don't want to die with unconfessed sin in your life. I don't either. But here's the point. You may have some things that you're sinning in and you don't even realize it. But as you grow, the Holy Spirit will expose it to you. And that keeps going on until we die. But let's say you could remember every bad thing you did and confess it. And, and then, then you not only have that, James says, you've got to think of every good thing that you could have done that didn't do. I mean, you've got to think about, boy, you're in trouble now because not only you've got to think about and confess any bad sin or any, any shortcoming that you had, you've got to think about all the potential things that you could have done for the glory of God that you failed to do and, 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 and realize that that's sin too. So that is true. That is a general statement and that does apply here. That's why you and I have to rely on the grace of God every day because even now there's no point that I get to in my walk that I'm making it on my own. There's no point that Jesus brings me up to par and then I go the rest of the way. It's grace all the way depending on him. He gets the glory for every step I take. And, if I, and as my life is transformed, it is his power that does it. He gets the glory for that. The good fruit that comes through my life that I couldn't have done otherwise. I get blessed and rewarded, but he gets the glory because it's him living through me. This is what makes all of this so powerful. So that's a general statement. But specifically, what this is talking about, you may be a good person and you may go through the law and say, well, I didn't do this. I didn't worship idols today. I didn't commit adultery today. I didn't steal anything today. I didn't this. I didn't that. But he says, if you're living your life even though you claim to be a believer and not realizing God is sovereign over every part of it, you didn't do what was good. Specifically, he says, your arrogance and your boasting is evil and you know the right thing and you fail to do it, you're sinning. That's what he's saying here. It's pride. To know the will of God and choose to disobey it is to say to God, I know what you want me to do, but I prefer not to do it. I really know more about this for me than you do. Somehow I know your word says that, but for me, it doesn't apply quite like that. See, it's sin. All right, wrap it up. Principles we should learn. You ready? Let's take it home. You ready to take it home? Okay. Are you sure? Okay, let's, let, let's, let's, let's get it together so we can take it home. What we should learn, first of all, it's not wrong to make plans, but realize your plans cannot be guaranteed. Okay? Two, as you plan and set goals... Be careful and make God the center. Not just an add-on. Number three, God's purposes, that is God's will, must control our plans. Tell me when that sunk in. Ready? Okay. Life is brief and uncertain. That's another truth, principle that comes out of this. We need to keep that in mind. That doesn't make me want to be like, oh, no. You know, kind of like Henny Penny was running around, the sky was falling. How many of you know who Henny Penny is? Okay, the rest of you need to read up. <laughs> Henny Penny. The sky's falling, you know. Okay, uh, we're not running around like that, but here's what we are. We're realizing the truth, what is real, and I want to maximize my vapor, 
my midst of a life. Amen? Maximize. Use it up wisely. Only got so much of it. To ignore this is the same as trying to play God in our own lives. We're trying to be sovereign in our own lives. We may pay lip service to God, but we really think we're in charge. We're calling the shots. And then we must hold on to the only certain thing that there is in time or eternity. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ, the solid rock. Aren't you glad we've got something solid in this shifting world? Aren't you glad we've got something that we can build our life on? Aren't you glad we got something we can make our decisions based on? Aren't you glad we got something that never changes? It never expires. It never grows old. Aren't you glad we got truth we can hang on to? Not just through all the changes of life from youth to old age, but into eternity and through forever. That's what we have in Christ. Grasp onto him. As our vapor gets thinner, I'm not panicking, just trying to maximize to the glory of God because we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Pray with me. Father,